the book of Psalms was not written in one sitting. It was compiled for a long time. And according to the Jewish writings in the Talmud, David wrote about three and a half thousand, maybe up to four thousand songs, and only some of them have been included, which is probably good for us, otherwise the whole Bible would just be the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms, we think of it mainly as a songbook, but it isn't. It is classified as wisdom literature. And that's why Psalm 1 and 2 are placed right at the front. Whoever compiled the book together, we don't know who that was. It, it's at the time of the Dead Sea uh, Scrolls, about 200 to about uh, 50 BC before Christ, that it was put together. And so during this time, some of the other Psalms are still included, Psalm 151. Anybody ever read that one? It's in, it's in the Septuagint. It's, it's there. It's, so it, there are other psalms and songs, but these songs God oversaw by his inspiration, and it meant that the author didn't perspire over them. Like many other cultures, Israel did have a vibrant singing culture, and there are 185 songs and poems in the Bible. Most of them are in, in this book, but Song of Solomon... The book of Lamentations, they're the dirges, the, the funeral songs that are there. And so there are many of them. Some of them are very short, uh, only five to seven words in the Hebrew language. Some of them are a little bit verbose, like two and a half thousand words in the English language, like Psalm 119. And so some of them are easier to memorize than others. The book of Psalms is quoted in the New Testament in at least 60 different places, possibly up to 100 different places with some allusions to them, and 60 of them are referred to. And so it is well worth it for us to look at it and to see why they are so often quoted and why they are so often used. And to, for us, a good thing to remember is that it's not just a songbook, but it is God's prophetic book to us. And in this opening psalm, Psalm 1, let me change this so it doesn't slide down, which will probably help me. He writes to us this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves does not wither. And in whatever he does, he will prosper. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In Psalm 72 verse 20 it says, 
hereby ends the prayers of David, as if to say that all of that which went before it, Psalm 1 to 71, are by David. Now, that's not quite true, but they're implying that. And in Jewish tradition, Psalm 1 and 2 are one psalm. They are connected, and we see that with the opening word, blessed, which is the closing word in Psalm 2. This is about the two ways in both Psalm 1 and in Psalm 2, and I'll refer to some other things. And Psalm 2 is written by King David in Jewish tradition, but also according to the New Testament in the book of Acts. And so if that's true, then this would be about 1,000 B.C. that it's written as part of literature, and the opening word is ashray, is how happy. All Jewish translations, almost all, state how happy rather than how blessed. Uh, the, the word is actually in the plural, how, I don't know how you say happy in plural, how happy, happiest, happiest. I don't know what the word would be. How blessedness is, it's, it's in the plural. It's not just a singular, it's not just a one thing, but it is a series of things. And as such, they're trying to communicate something more than just a blessed state, but because of that relationship that he's addressing those two ways, and we'll deal with that, uh, you derive happiness from this. The book of Psalms, as you probably know, is divided up into five books. And on top of Psalm number one, it often says book one. You may notice that in your Bible. It is related to the five books of the, the law in Jewish tradition. And it's interesting that Moses uses this exact word, that blessed or happy, ashray, and he says that same word in Deuteronomy 33, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. And that forms to some degree the context of that word. You are blessed, you are happy because you are saved by the Lord. Therefore, you do. It's a well-known psalm and the context is clear to us. It is about the two ways. That, that makes sense. Uh, the wicked, the righteous. It's one way or the other. And this comes back consistently throughout Scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 17 would be a good example. Verses 5 to 7. Uh, Curses the man who trusts in man and who makes flesh his strength, who turns away from the Lord. For he's like a shrub in a desert. He shall not see any good come to him. And he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in the uninhabited salt lands. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. And so there is other examples that I could quote you that drive that same point home. There are two ways. And God is the hope of those who seek him, the hope of the godly, the pious. This psalm is written most likely by David, but we know that it's written after the giving of the law. And it's not part of the New Testament, so it's before the death of Christ. So this is part of the Mosaic covenantal period. 
In other words, when the law of God, the Torah, was supreme as the guide for life, it was the code by which all Jewish people would want to live, the code for holy and godly living. And so that's why this psalm, one of the three Torah psalms in the Bible, reflect Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and 119. 1, 19, 119. Uh, it's easy to remember. But the word Torah means instructions. It's not just law. We read it as law, and that's okay. But the word comes from the word instructions. These are God's instructions. Now, we're not under the law of Moses, but we too have a law, the law of Christ. And so we too could say, sing this and, and read this and see this as for us. We don't bring goats to church. You may have heard one preach once in a while, but that's not what we want. We are under a law, and so in that sense, we can place that in it. And so this is one of those three Torah psalms, but still it's a wisdom psalm for us that we can learn from. And there's the two ways. Well, think about that for a second, two ways. Well, there's the first Adam and the last Adam. And so are we in him or are we in the other? There are the way of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Do we follow the right advice like Isaac or ungodly advice like Ishmael? Do we seek the covenant as Jacob did or despise the covenant as Esau did? Do we build our own kingdom as King Saul or build God's kingdom and have a heart after God? like King David? Are we like Orpah or like Ruth? Do we say, your people, my people, your God, my God, and commit ourselves to the covenant people? We could draw example after example where we see that same principle that I think King David is trying to teach us here. Which way do we go? Who do we follow? What rules do we follow? Uh, if I would put it in a in a modern day context, slightly unbiblical, is it the path of me, myself, and I, or is it the path of Christ? Do we follow the world? Do we follow Christ? It's that same principle, and it will not be any different in the future, because in the future too, that's the same principle. Uh, we'll deal with Psalm two next time, but. Even in the future, will they follow the Antichrist? Will they follow Christ? It's the same principle. Even in the millennial kingdom, when the nations will rage against the Lord, it's the same principle. Do we follow God or and his anointed, or do we stand against him? God called us in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 16 to 21, to stand by him. Let me read them to you. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. You see, Israel, us, we are the same. We're a people who are generally don't follow God. It's not our nature. We must make a choice. 
And that's why this wisdom psalm is placed here, right at the opening bat that we say, which way do we go? I'm sure you noticed that in verse 1. The blessed man does not walk, nor stand, nor sits. Three things, walk, stand, sit. It's kind of simplistic, but it works, doesn't it? Uh, what is it that we do? Well, when, when you're walking, you're seeking advice. Uh, the word halach, uh, uh, it's a rabbinical little term that the rabbis later adopt, really, uh, as in uh, the way you should walk in their laws. But that's not what David is referring to. But he is saying, in which way do you walk? Do you follow in the halacha and the law of God or in the law of man? Which way do you go? Do you seek their advice? A thought came to me last night, and I haven't quite connected it yet. I haven't quite thought it through, so you'll forgive me, but I'm going to mention it. In Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Satan comes, and the sons of God are standing in council together before the Lord. And Satan comes amongst them, and God says to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan says, I've been going to and fro, and I've been walking. And it's that similar language that we see here. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. Hmm. That's kind of easy to do. Let's be honest. The counsel of the wicked is loud. They'll tell you what to do. But is it godly advice? And the answer would be no. But, but how do we know that? By listening carefully, by investigating. Is it truth? Who do we pursue? Jesus, who is the truth. And therefore, we need to make sure that the advice that we follow also is truth and not just made up. After walking, you stop you're now no longer just walking alongside of them like what they do with the elections when, when you come up towards the place where they hold the election. And those campaigners come up to you and say, hey, can I walk with you for 10 meters and give you my brochure? You have a choice not to listen or to listen. But now he stops and he's taking in their advice. Stand in the path of sinners. It's now gone down a level of severity. He's now stopping, taking it all in. And then next, he sits amongst them, scoffing. Hmm. It's the opposite of happiness. The opposite of blessedness is when we do these things. So let me just reverse this for a second. How would we get that happiness that he wants from us? Well, that's not by doing these things, but how would we get that? Well, this same word is used in Psalm 32, in the opening lines. And then verse 5 in Psalm 32, 5, he says, How do I get this happiness? By acknowledging my sin to you and not covering my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions, and you forgave the iniquity of my heart or my sin. Selah. That is godly advice. That's what he gives us. But what's the ungodly? 
Well, they're the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, the, the wicked who opposed God, the sinners who missed the mark, and then the scoffers who denied God. They are like the fool who says there is no God. Paul the Apostle says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And that's the same. It's this advice. We want godly advice, but not bad advice. And bad advice is easily given. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. We could easily transpose this to our time and say, his delight is in the Bible, in the word of God. And in his Bible, he meditates. When you and I hear the word meditate, uh, you know, what do we think? We think of Eastern mysticism. That's not what this is. This isn't sitting in a circle, crossing your legs and raising your hand and saying, um, and emptying your mind. That's not biblical. Uh, that's ungodly because emptying your mind is not the right thing. It's the renewal of the mind that God seeks, not the emptying. Because when you have an empty mind, it would be easy to fill it with the counsel of the wicked. What he wants is something specific here. The word meditate in Hebrew is an, is an unusual word. It's found a couple of times in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 31.4. Isaiah 31.4, where it says this, As the lion and the young lion growling, meditating over his prey. Huh. I don't think they're meditating, they're, they're growling, they are, they're making that deep sound. It's used in Isaiah 38, 14, where it says that the, the dove is cooing or moaning in some translations, mourning in, in the Septuagint. It's cooing. It's that, that almost unverbalized but still groaning. I think a better way to translate this would be murmuring. Uh, we see murmuring as a negative thing, and I don't mean it in that way. It's not murmuring in that sense. Uh, or mumbling might be a better way to put this. Uh, we need to meditate on the word by having it in our mouth, like the lion growling softly to himself. He's not roaring. He's not shouting it out. But by meditating, by allowing it to be in our mouth consistently and persistently, haga is the, the, the root word, in allowing it to be in our mouth, meditating over it, like Nathaniel did in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. He would have gone to the synagogue, learned the passage, gone under a tree, and regurgitated it in a sense. We often regurgitate the sins of other people's, or the things that we've done wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. It says to meditate, to regurgitate what God has declared. That is true meditation that God wants from us. And by that we will have the renewal of our mind. That's the key for us. And what happens then? We can be delighted in what God has declared in his law, in his Bible. Psalm 92, verses 12 to 14. 
the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. And that's that same language that we have here, uh, that he'll be planted like a tree firmly by the streams or by the rivers of water. The word palm tree there in Psalm 92 is, is from the word tamar, meaning upright. And that's exactly what Psalm 1 is indicating too. He will be an upright believer. And like in Psalm 92, there, it's talking about fruit and leaves. But how do you get fruit and leaves? Because that's what other people see in you by having those roots. How do you get those roots? By meditating on God's word. It's connected here. People can see the fruit and partake of it and enjoy what you put in or put out, really. But what you put in is what will be sucked up through the roots into the tree itself, coming out in the leaves. Planted firmly, unmovable. And that's what we will be when we are in Messiah we will become more and more God-like. And then we will have that fruit. We immediately think of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians, uh, that will help us in that sense, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law or commandment. When you think about it, many of the psalms David wrote as a lament. There are more lament psalms than any other type of psalms. In other words, he is crying over the things that have been happening to him. Lord, what about Absalom? What about Doug and Ophel and Ahithophel, who was given bad advice? Lord, how many are my adversaries? And they increase. Lord... And so David here is giving us something together with Galatians 5. What is he displaying? The fruit of the Spirit. Because he is giving us patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all of those things that the godly here should have as fruit. And whatever he does, he will prosper. Uh, it's not a prosperity gospel that we believe in. It's not about a financial prosperity because that's not the context. And people read that into it, and it's a shameful thing. What is the prospering? What God has given him as nourishment. What is the prospering? What he's dispensing through his leaves and his fruit. Not so the wicked, Rashaim. Uh, the ungodly, but literally the, the wicked, they are not. Who are these wicked? Well, if we read through David's life, many of the wicked came from the covenant people. They came from Israel. So too within the body of Messiah, sadly, we have the ungodly with us. They're not part of us, but they are amongst us. And so they are. Here, they are connected. They have little regard for God or his word or for the life that Christ has given us. They have no way of satisfying him or satisfying the body, for they have their natural desires and passions. 
and the wicked are unconcerned with God and the spiritual life. And they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. I didn't grow up on a farm. I've, I've been to a farm twice in my life. find it a scary place. But chaff is the, the husk around the head of the grain. Uh, once the head of the grain is removed, the husk essentially is worthless, without substance, lightweight. And it reminds me then of those words that John the Baptist proclaimed in Matthew 3, verses 11 to 12. I baptize you with the waters for repentance, but he, the Messiah, he is coming, who is coming after me, mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear out his trashing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, and the chaff will be burned up with unquenchable fire. Huh. They'll be driven away here. John gives us that next step. Once they are driven away, they will be burned up. It's the judgment that is coming. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. Today, when you come before a judge, again, something I've never done, but I've seen it on TV, they stand up and receive their judgment. But when the judgment really happens for the ungodly, they cannot stand. Every knee will bow. And this is one of those moments where every knee will bow. They will not be able to stand, even though they think they can stand nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. This is the future of the ungodly. Nahum chapter 1, or Nahum, Nahum, you say, Nahum? Nahum? Nahum. Get it right, peoples. Nahum. Nahum chapter 1, Nahum, Nahum. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. But who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fearness of his anger? His wrath is poured out like a fire, and the rocks are broken asunder by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that take refuge in him. You see, even Nahum gives us that option. We are either in him, seeking shelter under his wings, or we are not, and we will be standing in his fierce anger. In the day of trouble, we need to seek him, seeking shelter underneath him. We don't preach just a God of justice. We have a God of love, but he's also holy and righteous, and we're not a one-attribute people to God. Uh, we are monotheists, but not mono-attributes of God is. God isn't just love. He's also holy and righteous and fierce, jealous. And so we need to make sure that we walk in his ways so that we will not stand with the sinners, but be assembled together with the righteous so that we know what he wants from us. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, they will perish. It's such a summary of it, isn't it? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He foreknows what we will do, but he will watch over us. He will guide us. That's what he's trying to tell us. He will protect us in all these ways. In the book of Proverbs, it wasn't yet written, but trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him. And the Hebrew here now becomes a little bit open to two interpretations, and he will direct your paths. And that would be a good way to read this. He will direct you. The other way to read it would be, and he will make your paths straight. In other words, he will take you off the crooked paths to make sure that you stay on the straight and narrow. Friends, it's a simple psalm. It's a simple message. Yet there is true wisdom in here. As believers, in what way do we walk? Do we walk with the wicked? Do we walk with the righteous? Whose counsel do we seek? Where do we take our delight in? This is the question that was asked by Psalm 1, by King David, and it's the question that we will continue to ask until we are found in him. And then it's no longer a question for us because then we won't ask, which way do I want to walk? Once we realize that he redeemed us from our wicked ways, we can stand in him and him alone.